Today on Crossroads and Culture, how do you respond when it seems as though God is shutting some doors and redirecting your life? Sometimes that can feel like an interruption. Sometimes it can feel like an inconvenience, but maybe it's God's invitation to us to join him where he's at work. We're going to talk about that today on Crossroads and Culture. Hey, thanks again for joining me on this episode of Crossroads in Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. You know, when I think about the Apostle Paul and his missionary travels and all the things that he went through, the hardships that he had to endure, talking about the imprisonments, the beatings, uh, being left for dead, being shipwrecked, being snake-bitten, I mean, all of these things, having people pursue him, uh, the Thessalonian Jews pursuing him, and I mean, just... I mean, everything they could do to stop him from taking the gospel, even those who said, we're not going to eat until Paul's dead. I mean, that's that's a lot of hate, a lot of vitriol towards Paul, yet Paul endured it all. And, and my question becomes, why? Well, I, th- I think that the scriptures tell us real clearly, especially in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is addressing the elders at Ephesus, that he says that he doesn't really value his life for himself. In other words, it doesn't mean that he hated his life. He didn't hate his life. He just was willing to give his life, lay his life down for the sake of the gospel. Paul loved the gospel that much, and it marked his life. And the reason why he loved the gospel was because he realized that he was hopeless without the gospel, just like you and I are hopeless without the gospel. But he, but he also was constrained by the Spirit of God, is what the book of Acts tells us. In other words, he was bound by the Spirit. He he served God with everything he had. And in Acts 20, it tells us that he was going to go back to Jerusalem because he was constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what awaited him, except he knew that there would be afflictions and imprisonment. Now, you and I both would probably say that if we knew that afflictions and imprisonment awaited us on our journeys, we would probably want to have a different itinerary. Like we would be willing to say, let's change our vacation plans or let's change our travel plans and let's go a a little bit of a different route, maybe to the mountains, maybe to the beach, whatever it may be. Yet the apostle Paul was willing to do whatever it took to take the gospel to people who needed the gospel. Just a lot of a lot of passion in his in his life and this calling he had, he embraced it fully. Well, there's one passage of scripture in the book of Acts chapter 16 that gives us the backstory, the backdrop of how the church at Philippi started. And it really started because of a redirect in in Paul's life. You see in Acts chapter 16, um, God's word tells us that Paul was wanting to go into Asia, and God shut the door. He wouldn't let Paul go into to Asia to take the gospel. But then he tried to go into Bithynia, and it says that the Holy Spirit, that God's word says in Acts 16, that the Holy Spirit prevented or kept Paul from going into Bithynia. And it was shortly after that that Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia. Macedonia is in what would be northern Greece, um, near the region of Albania, Bulgaria, and that region, uh, but in the northern part of Greece. And he had this vision of a man who was from Macedonia that was calling 
Paul, I mean, literally begging Paul to come to Macedonia to bring the gospel. Now, obviously, this dream, this vision was from God. And Paul, instead of complaining about this and seeing this as an inconvenience, Paul really saw this as an invitation from God. He didn't know what God was going to do, but he was willing to be obedient to God's call on his life. And so Paul went to Macedonia, and as a result of that, there were a lot of things that happened. I mean, the church at Philippi began there because Paul was redirected to Macedonia, specifically Philippi. So as Paul goes to Philippi, he's looking for a synagogue. There's not a synagogue there because more than likely there were less than 10 Jews who lived in Philippi because that, according to some scholars, constitutes um, how many people it would take, how many Jews it would take to establish a synagogue. So there's no synagogue there, which was Paul's habit to go to a synagogue whenever he went went into a city, uh, literally to preach the gospel. Um, But instead, he finds some women who are praying, and Lydia is one of them. She's a worshiper of God. She acknowledges who God is, but she apparently has not put her faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins preaching the gospel to these women, and Lydia, who is a seller of purple, is what the scriptures tell us. She's from Thyatira, which means she was probably a woman of wealth because of the textiles and the dyes of that day um, were very costly. So she probably had a a fairly decent-sized home, and and the church would eventually meet in that, but she gives her, her life to Jesus. And so what Paul intended to do in going to Asia, God redirects, and as a result of this, Lydia comes to faith, her household comes to faith, the church eventually would meet in her home, um, but that would not be the end of the story for Philippi, because Paul then encounters a slave girl who is demon-possessed. She is demonically possessed, and she is a fortune teller. She she is, in essence, a, a woman who is being trafficked by men who are seeking and and actually gaining financially because of what she's doing for them. And so she begins to follow Paul and Silas and and Timothy uh, around and is proclaiming that these men are are of the Most High God. And you would think that that sounds like a great thing, like she's promoting these, these men of God who are taking the gospel, but in fact, it was the demonic spirit within her that was, in some sense, mocking and annoying Paul. The scriptures even used that word, that Paul was annoyed, and after a while, Paul finally spoke to the demonic spirit and, and commanded that spirit to come out him being an apostle, commanding that spirit to come out of that girl. And she was set free from this captivity, this bondage that she was in, uh, in being demonically possessed. So if that wasn't enough, now Paul and Silas are criticized greatly, not just verbally attacked, but they're physically attacked. Because now this young lady who had been demonically possessed was making a lot of money for these for these men uh, that she was working for as a fortune teller. They're upset because they've lost their financial gain. They've lost their, their livelihood, so to speak, albeit not a ethical livelihood. So they lose their livelihood. And, and you know what happens. Whenever you mess with people's money, they get really upset. It was no different for these guys. And so Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. And so as they're thrown in prison, there's this this joy that's within them because of Christ in them. And a miraculous thing happens. An earthquake takes place. Uh, The prison doors are flung wide open. Paul and Silas have a free pass to get out of prison. 
And the jailer who's supposed to be watching over them, who's responsible for them, really begins to panic because for Roman soldiers, they were they were held accountable for their prisoners. And if their prisoners escaped on their watch, then they could have been executed. And so we see in the text that this jailer begins to draw his sword to take his own life. But Paul tells him, I mean, it's almost like he's screaming out to him, hey, don't take your life. We're still here which tells you about the Christian ethic, right? Doing the right thing, even when something that isn't right is the most convenient thing. Paul and Silas remained in prison, um, and as a result of this, the jailer was just astounded by their witness to the gospel, their, their integrity, uh, and Paul gets to share with this jailer this gospel because the jailer is inquiring. He's asking questions. What must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, and this guy gives his life to Jesus, and not just the jailer, but he takes Paul and Silas to his house, and the jailer's household, his family gets saved, and they begin to rejoice. Now, that's a really cool story, and really, it's the beginning of the church at Philippi that we will read later that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, this beautiful letter. He loved the church at Philippi, the people who were there. But what if God had not redirected Paul's life? What if Paul had seen this as an inconvenience back in Acts 16 when he wanted to go to Asia and Bithynia? What if Paul would have complained, thinking that this was an interruption, that this was really kind of um, um, taking his dreams of going to Asia and Bithynia, it, that that had taken a hit, that, that God was stealing his dreams from him? What if Paul had complained about that? Yet Paul didn't. Paul walked in obedience. And I believe it's for this reason, and I think this is kind of the takeaway from the, from the text, and what I really want to kind of talk about just for a few moments, and that is this, that, that God's redirect is not an inconvenience, but rather it's an invitation from God to join him where he's at work. And sometimes when God closes doors, we can get very frustrated about it, we can get upset about it, we can get angry about it, uh, we, we can be confused about it, and in reality, what God is doing is he's closing doors and redirecting us because he wants us to join him where he's at work. It's an invitation. And, and I get it because I've seen in my own life how God's redirected my life. And at the time, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And, and I, I've, I discovered that, that a redirect from God seems like, and it feels like an inconvenience because sometimes God's redirect is painful. You know, for, for Paul, you know, it didn't start out bad necessarily, but it ended up them being beaten and thrown in prison. And you know that that's not what that's not what I'm sure he thought was going to happen when God redirected him necessarily. But yet, it was painful, painful physically. But sometimes God's redirect can really be painful in other ways. You know, I think about the story of Jonah when God had called him to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel, and Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. It was almost like in Jonah's mind, God had interrupted. Uh, Jonah's comfortable life and his plans. And yet God had a bigger story that he was writing. And so he called Jonah to go uh, to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. And he gets on a boat that goes to Tarshish that's in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He's trying to run away from God's call, right? This redirect. 
And, it, and you know the story more than likely. A storm comes up on the sea. They realize that Jonah's the one that is the reason why uh, the seas are, are raging. And Jonah says, hey, throw me overboard. Jonah gets thrown overboard. He's swallowed by a big fish. He's in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. The fish throws him up on the shoreline. And then Jonah finally decides, hey, maybe it is a good idea to go to Nineveh and preach. And he does this. And in some sense, he goes reluctantly as we read the whole story of Jonah. But this redirect was not just for the sake of Nineveh. It was for the sake of Jonah and God's heart for all people. But that was a painful story. I'm sure that that ride in the fish was not pleasant. I don't, I don't think it was first class kind of stuff. I mean, he, he, I, I guarantee he didn't get room service. This was not a good thing for Jonah. It was painful. And I'll tell you just from my own personal experience that there have been times in my life where God has sought to redirect me and I've seen it as an inconvenience, as an interruption, and I've ran my own way. I've run my own way and got done my own thing, and it became very, very painful. It was just very painful. Um, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. So sometimes God's redirect is is hard. It may mean taking a cut and pay. It may mean going to a place that we really don't want to move to. It may mean having conversations that we don't want to have. It may be him um, changing what our dreams are and, and doing something completely different than what we ever thought God would do. And sometimes that's hard. It's hurtful. It's painful. Um, sometimes God's redirect seems confusing. It's not that it is confusing because God is not the author of confusion. But it may seem confusing, and we know we've talked about this before about God's about our feelings and what we feel um, that we don't trust our feelings that we take our feelings and we let Scripture, the truth of God's word, be the guardrails that guides and directs our feelings. But sometimes it does feel or seem confusing what God's doing and redirecting. Um, so maybe you're saying, you know what? I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what God's doing right now. This seems really confusing to me. And your question might be, God, what are you doing? Maybe Paul had those, those questions. I don't know. The bottom line was, though, he didn't let these questions keep him um, from doing what God had called him to do. But sometimes God's redirect seems confusing. Maybe that job that you were looking to get and you thought you had the job, you had interviewed, everything went well, everything seemed to go, be going smoothly. And then you get the email or the call that says you didn't get the job. And you're like, what, what is going on here? Maybe you've been in a dating relationship and maybe there's an engagement and all of a sudden the engagement ends abruptly and you're like, what, what is happening here? And, and in that moment, you, you can't see all that God is doing, but what we can know as believers in Christ, as children of God, that he always has his glory and our best interest at heart. But sometimes it seems confusing. I mean, I think about, you know, Paul, again, going to Philippi. I mean, he, he goes there uh, being obedient to God. He tries to find a synagogue to preach the gospel. There's no synagogue. There's just, there's some, there's some ladies there at the river and he, he preaches the gospel. And so even though there wasn't a synagogue and Paul may have been confused about that, he preached the gospel nonetheless and Lydia was saved and and then the rest is history, so to speak, that her household was saved and a church was planted in Philippi, first church in Europe. And and yeah, so we, we see what God did, even in the midst of something that may have seemed confusing to Paul. Or, or maybe when Paul was leaving there and he was going again to go pray and this demon-possessed girl is standing in the way and, and is annoying them. 
Um, and that could have been seen as an interruption or an inconvenience by Paul, yet Paul took the opportunity to point this, this, this girl to Jesus, first and foremost by commanding the spirit, this demonic spirit to come out, and then this girl being pointed to Jesus. And as a result of this, this girl that was demonically possessed now experiences freedom in Christ. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe it's when he left there and he was just trying to preach the gospel and he ends up being thrown in prison. So another inconvenience being thrown in prison when he's trying to preach the gospel and what God does is he, it's like he flips the script and it's like a plot twist. And while Paul and Silas are in prison and they're rejoicing, um, because Christ is their joy, not their circumstances, this jailer ends up getting saved and his household. So, so this redirect in Paul's life led to really an invitation from God for Paul and Silas and Timothy to join God where God was already at work. And so, so here's, here's what I know to be true, though, that whenever God brings a redirect to our lives, Satan always sits at the crossroads of God's redirect. He always does. And he tries to convince us that this is not of God, that we should just do our own thing, go our own way, um, that this is just an interruption, that we can that, that we can just do whatever we want to do, which, which leads me to, to, to this, and that is that there are basically three options that, that we have um, whenever we encounter a redirect or an inconvenience. You, you can either ignore the inconvenience and try to navigate around it. That's like Jonah, right? Try to do your own thing. It's like, man, this is an inconvenience, and really it's, it's, it's a, a redirect from God, but you're seeing it as an inconvenience, and so you're like, you know what? I'm just going to go around this. I'm going to navigate around this. I remember when God was calling me um, to ministry, I did not want to be in the ministry. I didn't want a pastor. I wanted to be a lawyer, and so I was trying to make decisions that would try to justify my decisions and say, you know what, God, I can still follow you and still do this. I was trying to navigate around what God was redirecting in me and in my life. Um, so you can try to ignore the inconvenience and, and navigate around it, but I will promise you this, it doesn't end up well. Because what you try to navigate around, it's kind of like when you think that you're going to take a shortcut somewhere. Have you ever done this before? You're driving and you think you know a shortcut, but that shortcut ends up costing you two hours longer than if you had just take, taken the, the, the path you knew would get you there. That's what happens when we try to navigate around God's redirect. We end up getting lost. We end up wandering. Just ask Israel. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't follow God's ways. So you can ignore the inconvenience and try to navigate around it. Or secondly, you can complain about the inconvenience and become bitter. You've heard this phrase before. I didn't. I haven't made this up. You either become bitter or better. And whenever there's a redirect, um, you can complain about it and just be bitter. And you, you've been around people like that. Maybe you've been a person like that. Or maybe that's where you are right now. You're just bitter right now because the doors that you wanted God to open and to keep open, he closed. And you're mad. You're mad that he closed that door on that job, on that relationship, on a financial uh, deal, or or whatever it may be. And you're just really mad at God. You're bitter. And it's killing your soul. And the reality is, is that you can become bitter or you can become better. And the way we become better is not better by self-help, but we become better as we surrender ourselves to God and his ways, knowing that he's writing a bigger and better story than we could ever write. Or here's the third thing. Uh, you can trust that the inconvenience is really God's invitation for you to join him where he's at work. So Paul saw that. And really, ultimately, we see it in Jesus. How there were a lot of things. I mean, think about what Jesus went through as he was going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. 
Yet he said when he was praying to his father, Father, your will be done, not my will be done. It was like God, Jesus was saying, you know, I know there are a lot of things, there are a lot of stumbling blocks here. There are a lot of things that would come across as inconvenience for some people, but God, I desire to do your will because it's an invitation. And the invitation um, in re- reality was was him being the payment for our sins so that we could have a reconciled relationship with God. So, so just know this, that God's redirect in your life, it's always purposeful but it requires our trust. So it's not really an inconvenience as much as it is an invitation from God to you. And what I found about redirects um, is that divine appointments are often disguised as moments of inconvenience. I mean, I, I, just, I encountered that today, as a matter of fact. Got a chance to, to share with the guy who, um, I, I, I would... I don't know what I, I don't know what I'd call him. I mean, he he believes there's a God, but he believes there's a lot of paths to God. Very new age philosophy, and and I was trying to study, and I was trying to get some things done that I needed to get done, and God just opened this door. This young man asked if I was a pastor. He didn't know me, and it was like God's spirit was saying, "Hey, here's a redirect," and really it was an invitation. And I'm so glad. And it was only by God's grace that I took that because there would have been times, and there have been times where I've not where I've not followed God's redirect as an invitation. So sometimes divine appointments are often disguised as moments of, of inconvenience. Let's just know that. So again, God's redirect in your life and in my life, it's not an inconvenience, but it's an invitation from God to join him in what, he, in what he's doing. So, so we see the results of that in Paul's life, and we can see it in ours as well. So when God redirects your life, here's what I want to encourage you to do, and I'm encouraging myself as well. We need to accept his invitation to join him where he's at work. And then we need to choose to walk in obedience rather than run in obstinance. By obstinance, I mean just having a, a rebellious heart, a rebellious spirit, doing our own thing, digging our heels in. That we need to choose to walk in obedience. And then we need to trust God with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. And here's why. Because God's ways are best. Again, God is writing a much bigger and better story than you and I could ever write. And he sees the end that we don't see. So we have to trust him. Because his ways are best. I love Psalm sixteen eleven. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's Psalm sixteen eleven. Love that passage. So God's ways are best. And, and lastly, I would just say because the reason why we should trust God is because he's for his glory and for your good. So, so maybe there's some stuff going on in your life right now. And, and maybe, just maybe, it's God redirecting you because he has something better, bigger for you as he's writing your story and he's writing someone else's story as well. And it's not an inconvenience, but God is inviting you to something. So whatever it is right now in your life that you'd say, this is really an inconvenience or interruption. Maybe you just need to stop and pray and say, God, what are you inviting me to? And then listen closely because God's spirit will always lead you into truth and to the place where God is at work. Well, I hope this has encouraged you today and, and challenged you. It's, it challenged me as well. Um, and if you found this helpful, maybe a friend of yours or a family member um, would be encouraged by hearing this, or maybe you just want to share this with them. Share it on your social media platforms um, and and subscribe to the podcast so you can keep updated on when new ones come out. Hopefully once a week is what I try to do. Um, but I hope and pray that as God redirects your life, you will respond in obedience and join him and the invitation he's giving you to watch him do something 
phenomenal and, and, and much bigger and better than you could ever imagine. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to you joining me next time on Crossroads and Culture. 